Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of the Fantasy Injury Team Podcast. This is Tom Chris, and I will be your host today as I welcome on a very special guest. She's literally the goat of the sports industry world. She's a major inspiration in me becoming a physical therapist and has helped grow the PT profession dramatically. It's ESPN's very own Stefania Bell. Welcome on, Stefania. Thanks for having me. So we, it is Friday, October 28th, 2022, and we're coming at you live from sunny San Diego at the annual American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists Conference. Stefania, you gave an awesome presentation this morning, and you'll be speaking again later today. Is that correct? That is correct. I will be on a panel talking about, I don't know exactly what yet, but we will find out. <laughs> Can't wait. Love when you don't really know what you're getting yourself into. I'm told there will be cocktails. That's all that well, matters. <laughs> that makes everything better. <laughs> so today, like always on the Fantasy Injury Team, we will be talking about football injuries. We're going to dive into two of the most significant season-ending injuries in football, the dreaded ACL and Achilles tears. Stefania, this season we had 11, or last season we had 11 fantasy-relevant players who are returning this season from an ACL tear. So by fantasy relevant, obviously I'm referring to quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, and tight ends. And we have four who, are, are, who have returned this season after an Achilles tear. And this season, of course, we've already had a number of players suffer these injuries as well. Most notably, last week, rookie running back Brees Hall, who is off to an elite start to his career. And earlier in the season, Broncos second-year running back Javante Williams. We'll dive into their outlooks for next season a little bit as well. So, Stefania, not all ACL injuries are the same. Can you talk a little bit about the difference when you have a ACL-only injury versus the ACL plus some of the other structures that can be injured? Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, I mean, not only is it unique because every player is unique and they bring their own injury history to the equation, but when you have complex tears, whether it's a multi-leg injury or you end up with some other structural damage, whether it's a cartilage injury, a meniscus injury, or what have you, it can alter the course of the rehab, as you know. The surgery changes, uh, the timeline may change as a result. And so these things are more nuanced, I think, than people tend to appreciate. We are accustomed to players coming back and we think, okay, nine months to a year is kind of the average return time. But things like seasonal calendar can factor into that. Um, again, the type of injury and the position. I mean, I, I feel like running back is more demanding for these guys than just about anything else. Running backs have to decelerate hard. We know that deceleration is one of the hardest things to get back after an ACL tear. And so... I think there's a lot of variability, so I appreciate that you're talking about that. As far as the nature of the injury, uh, when it's an isolated ACL, it's just a cleaner repair and a cleaner recovery. There aren't any restrictions around uh, weight bearing or range of motion early on like there might be with something else. So you expect the rehab process to generally be more straightforward. Expect being the keyword because the caveat is doesn't again it doesn't way. always happen that way and sometimes it's because again of the things we talked about like the player's history I mean, if they have a history of something else that's happened in that knee um, or just for whatever reason they have a little bit of a challenge in their course of rehab they may not be on the same timeline so uh, but generally speaking 
an isolated ACL is an easier recovery pathway than something like an ACL MCL where uh, people don't always understand why there's a delay to surgery for those folks. Uh, oftentimes are allowing the MCL to scar down so that it heals before they get to ACL surgery. Part of the reason for that is you want to promote normal range of motion as quickly as possible after the ACL, but you can't do that right away when you're trying to get an MCL to heal. So the idea is you allow the MCL to start to lay down some scar tissue and heal so that when you go for the ACL surgery, you can progress the range of motion accordingly. Um, if there's a meniscus repair, that can change the course of rehab because you might be restricting motion again. Sometimes weight-bearing things change. So it really depends on the exact nature of everything that's going on with the injury. And I think it's important for your audience to keep in mind, we may not always know those details. We often hear so-and-so tore their ACL. And it's not until the next year, players coming back, sometimes the player's talking about his injury and then says, well, yeah, I also did this. And we saw that with J.K. Like, Dobbins, yeah, exactly. right, who is talking about um, the fact that it was a more complex injury. And when he was... I think really at the peak of his frustration, although he might be even more frustrated right now as we talk, uh, given his, you know, he's back on IR, but um, they, they, they hadn't outlined every single thing that he had. And he then went on to say, ACL, LCL, hamstring, meniscus. It's a complex injury. It, it explains why he was having there. trouble coming back. So I think uh, it's just important to remember that we don't always know all the details from a distance. Yeah, absolutely right. And and I love how you hit on even not just thinking about all the different tissues. Every player and every human responds differently from a medical standpoint to whether it be an injury or even like an illness. We're all very, very, very complex and, and just respond a little bit differently. So let's dive into some of the players who are returning from the ACL. We're going to look at time frames from from injury to return to playing, and a little bit on comparing their their fantasy output in, and this is strictly half-point PPR scoring this season compared to pre-injury. So we'll go in order by position. There's one quarterback, and that's Jameis Winston. It was 45 weeks between his injury and, and his return to playing. Before injury, he was averaging 17.9 points per game. In the three games that he's played this year, it was 16.3, so a little bit of a hit there. Now this is a little more complicated because he did have that lumbar fracture in week one and the foot injury. I'm not exactly sure when that happened, but I did see a report yesterday that it's a peroneal tendon strain is what he's being diagnosed with there. Um, so kind of hard to really make much out of Jameis' situation just because the other injuries early on. So let's go on to the next one. I'd love to hear your opinion on J.K. Dobbins. So we just hit on him with the extensiveness of his injury. His injury was in the preseason, like right before, I think a week before the season started. So he had about 56 weeks between his injury and then when he finally returned this season. Before his injury, so his rookie season, towards the end of the season, he was averaging 16 fantasy points a game, again, half-point PPR. In the games he played this year, that's dropped all the way down to 7.8. And like you just alluded to, he's back on the IR. What are, you, what are your general thoughts going on with J.K. there? <laughs> Where to begin? I mean, I think we knew that uh, if you were paying attention, I, not everybody was agreeing with me. I took a lot of heat for my preseason comments about him, but I think we had signs that, that 
there was some trouble back when John Harbaugh said during OTAs that he might have to start the season on the physically unable to perform list. And I think people chalk that up to being coach speak. And a lot of players, when they're coming back, they will appear on that list initially during training camp. Most people, um, if you're familiar with that, you know that that's a list you can be taken off of any time. But while you're on the pup list, as we call it, you cannot practice with the team. And what you're seeing teams do more now is – even if a player starts there, they'll bring them off that so that they can begin integrating even in portions of practice. But it doesn't necessarily mean if they're taken off the list that they're 100%. Right. And that's part of the final stage of the ACL rehab is doing sports-specific Correct. training. And But if you go back to what John Harbaugh was saying around uh, OTAs uh, in the spring, like we're talking about May, uh, and projecting that he might start the season on the list – if you think about the fact that we usually talk nine to 12 months for players to be coming back and 12 months would have been August, then July, June, May at nine months where you're thinking a player's approach and coming back, he was projecting him to potentially start the season on the pup list. That tells you that he was not ready to come back at a time when you'd be thinking that was likely. Like if, if, if Dobbins had been six and a half or seven months at that point, the comment wouldn't have surprised me. But if you start looking at that, it tells you they knew he was likely not going to be ready. And that could have been for any number of reasons. Then you fast forward to later during training camp when J.K. Dobbins was really trying to push it. And I understand it. We get it. These guys are athletes. They want to come back. There's also financial incentivization. You never know what is behind it. Players feel really stressed about not being available week one, especially if – a lot of people thought they would be available week one because there's a public perception that they're trying to fight. And he was doing a lot of things at that point. He was doing some, he had been taken off the pup list, but he was not really practicing in an integrated fashion with the team. He was doing individual drills and there was talk about him recovering. So he would do things, then he would be off a day. And so you could see that he was not up to par. Again, these are the little things that we look at when we're doing injury analysis that maybe other people aren't as focused on. It's not as simple a matter of him coming off the list and then being 100%. It's what are they doing? And he was needing recovery days then. So again, you knew he was not quite 100%. Uh, and I was glad that the team was treating him in the way that they were because they were respecting that he they weren't throwing him into it. That being said, didn't look to me like he was necessarily close to being ready to go. But the the friction became public. Dobbins was very vocal about sure wa was. wanting to get back and uh, feeling frustrated that people were uh, reporting that he was going to be delayed to return. But at that time, there was a reference to flexibility being an issue. And if flexibility or range of motion is an issue, I don't care how strong you are because the strength sounded like it was really good. That's going to catch up with you over time. And again... Dobbins then revealed he had this LCL and hamstring issue. So, you know, posterior lateral corner repairs, um, scar tissue. Like, there are a lot of things that can be challenging. And if you just had a little more time to get that back, maybe it wouldn't be as problematic trying to integrate to football. But be that as it may, he came back. He was actually running pretty well. One of the things uh, that their offensive coordinator talked about right before he went on IR was the fact that he had one run where he broke three tackles. If you look at what J.K. Dobbins was doing, aside of the fantasy points, if you look at how he ran, he was a contact after, uh, yards after contact guy. That was one of the best things he did. 
but that is a lot of drag on your knee. So if you're breaking tackles, you have to be ultra strong through the legs. And you've got people trying to drag you down, defenders trying to, not only are they hitting you low, but they're pulling on you. So the strength and the power and the explosiveness and all of those things that it takes to get back to being that kind of running back, I just had a lot of question that he could be that when we were still talking about recovery days, stiffness, trouble with his knee. And I think that's ultimately what played out. That's what we're seeing now. And they had to basically scale it back and take him off the, you know, off the roster for a bit. Yeah. And like you alluded to with the stiffness, it, you know, when you're training, that's a closed, what we call a closed environment. Like it's, you're controlling the motions that you're going through, what your body's being exposed to on the football field. Like you were saying, when people are dragging you down, they don't care if you only, if you're lacking yeah, range. No motion. one's giving you credit for like, <laughs> oh, you know, you're just coming off an injury. So I'm going to go take it yeah. easy on you. That's not their job when they're on the and field. That, that's where if you are lacking range of motion and you get forced into that range that you don't have, that can aggravate things. So let's move on to JK's teammate, Gus Edwards, mm-hmm. who by all reports, not as involved of a surgery as, as Dobbins, but Edwards ended up missing 59 weeks or being 59 weeks from injury till his first game. Before injury, Edwards was averaging 10.7 points a game. And in the two games he's played this year, 12.6. So he's actually bounced back pretty well, except that he got injured last night, hamstring. Um, so what, do you, what are your thoughts on Gus Edwards? So a couple things. I think he had the latitude to take a little bit longer. And I'm not really sure how that happened behind the scenes, but uh, I was I appreciated for him that it was a little longer to come back, and that was fine. He was on the pup list a little bit longer, then started reintegrating to practice, and he just sort of quietly came back. And uh, the you know I thought he was running really well when he first came back. The hamstring injury following an ACL is very common. We see this all the time. Yeah, we're going to talk right. about that a so, little bit later. So to me. No matter how well you're doing, this is uh, often a secondary consequence. And what's really interesting, um, I think that we, we know one of the reasons for that. There's so much quad focus on post-ACL rehab, right? And understandably so. you got to get your quad strength back. Um, a lot of these guys in the NFL have patellar tendon grafts. There's a big focus on really making sure your quads are symmetrical. You've got good strength there. But and it, as you know that um, – they're doing all the the multiple teams are doing this um, metrics basically biometrics gathering uh, catapult and systems like that that are looking at acceleration they're looking at workload velocity fatigue and capturing all this data well um, Dr. Lyle Kane who's the head team physician at University of Alabama they've been using a lot of this and they've actually been doing some interesting stuff looking at what their data is showing them with these kind of injuries and how long it takes for players to get back to their pre-injury baseline. And one of the takeaways from some of the recent data that they ran was the last thing to come back, the absolute last thing, was not acceleration but deceleration. And so that would speak to the hamstring weakness that we're seeing with these players. And in fact, he said, uh, I was talking about this with him in July at the AOSSM conference because that's where they presented that data. And he said when they saw that, they started at Alabama 
hitting the hamstrings really hard because the hamstrings often get ignored in the rehab they do that's, relative that's, to the yeah, quad and what is the most common thing we see after the acls and you guys return is a hamstring injury and usually associated with deceleration so i think as people start to look at this they're going to understand where the deficits are but uh, right now it's a big problem it's really fascinating because because like you were just saying the hamstring gets ignored because just it's not a muscle that we traditionally see as weak in, in the PT world, whereas the quad can get inhibited and weak very, very easily. So, yeah, it does get ignored. And hopefully with this new data coming out, the, the, the rehab and the training will start to, to kind of favor that a little bit more. So let's, uh, let's move on to some wide receivers. K.J. Hamler was injured, I believe, in week three last season and came back week one, so it was about 50 weeks between his injury and back to playing. Before his injury, 5.6 points per game. This season, down to two. We see a similar pattern there with Robert Woods, who was 43 weeks after injury when he returned this season. Went from 14.5 points per game down to 6.5. So right there we're seeing two receivers with a pretty dramatic drop-off in their, uh, their average fantasy points. And then we move into Chris Godwin. This one is particularly interesting to me. He, I believe, was injured in either week 15 or 16, and he played week one. That, to me, was a little controversial. I did not really feel particularly great about that. It was 38 weeks, which is below our, our nine months that we like to see at least nine months post-op. And his fantasy output went from 15.1 points per game before injury to this year, he's averaging only 9.1. And, like we just talked about, what happened week one with him? A hamstring injury. Mm-hmm. Stefania, what are your thoughts here? I have so many. So the one of the things that I think it's important to factor into this is, like, K.J. Hamler and Robert Woods are playing with different offenses completely. And so there's other factors, I think, that are responsible in part for what we're seeing and change in their fantasy production. Anybody who's been watching football knows the Denver Broncos have been terrible. And KJ Hamler is playing with a new quarterback in Russell Wilson, a new offense under Nathaniel Hackett. And I, it's really hard, I think, to apply the fantasy point production simply as a function of post-injury. Because I think if, if you watch KJ Hamler, I actually think he's looked pretty good. He's 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 looked really pretty good. And so uh, that one is hard for me. I would just kind of leave it in the corner. Robert Woods, that's really interesting because he was with the Rams last year. Uh, Rams have one of the best medical and rehab staffs in the NFL. And I felt like anybody who tears their ACL there has not only a great surgeon, Dr. Neil Elitrash, but has an excellent rehab and recovery pathway through with the, the Rams staff. They're just really, really good. And if you want a comparison, take a look at Cooper Cup and how he came back after and same, same thing. And now he's a unicorn, uh, in the, not only in terms of the type of football player and fantasy productivity that he is, but also his work, everything about him. But that said, Robert Woods, a very solid receiver who by all accounts from what I gathered dedicated himself to his rehab and was there with the Rams as they made their Super Bowl run I mean he didn't get to participate in it but he was with them and and very much participating if you remember last year 
he did, it took a while for him to get integrated into the offense too. There was like, where is Bobby Trees? He is not part of the offense. And then finally they got him going and I felt terrible because no sooner did they get him going and he tears his ACL. Well, he goes off to Tennessee, which is a completely different offense. It's a run first offense. Their passing game is not that good. He was being eased into his workload there. And their offense has just been kind of lousy. It's been terrible. So I, it, again, I feel badly for him because if you're looking purely at fantasy point production, I don't think it tells the whole story. And then you go to Chris Godwin. I do think his case is particularly interesting. He's an incredible athlete. Um, I actually saw him practicing with the Titans when the, they were having joint practices, Bucks Titans. I was at, I was in Nashville for that. And wh- I spent a lot of time just shadowing Chris Godwin around the field, who even though it sounded like he was going to be practicing soon, he was doing individual work most of the time. And what I watched him doing and the way he looked was phenomenal. Like, I felt very good about him just based on that. Interestingly, in Tampa Bay, uh, one of their strength and conditioning coaches is a woman who is also a PT. She actually got promoted to, I think, something like a director of performance there. So under her umbrella now is strength and conditioning and PT. I love that because it means that those two departments are working in tandem. So I actually had better feelings about how Chris Godwin was being managed. We know players are at risk for a hamstring injury. And if you saw the hamstring injury he had in that first game he played, it might have happened anyway because it was such an awkward position. He went to catch a pass that was way down low and he stretched for it and it just put him in an awkward position with his leg and he ends up with a hamstring. The other thing is, as far as fantasy points production, they were not bringing him back to a full complement of snaps. So he was never going to be able to replicate his fantasy production because of the low workload, which continued, as you would expect, when he came back from the hamstring. So the reason it's great to talk about all this is because you see that there's so many factors that play into it that it's actually hard to attribute it all to injury. And so while I respect the analysis of that and understanding that if we look over time, and there's been a couple of papers published on this that look at uh, fantasy metrics year after ACL, and we know that they typically go down both in terms of total yardage and points scored, et cetera, et cetera. But it's why we can't compare them all exactly to one another because of all these things we laid out for three guys with three very different scenarios but a lot of factors that could be influencing why their fantasy production is altered the way that it is. Because Chris Godwin looks good to me. He actually looks really good. And now that he's back from the Hampton, but guess what isn't good? Their offensive line isn't good. Tom Brady is performing the worst he's performed since like 2002. And so that is going to change what Chris Godwin can do. So like you just, I would hesitate to put this all on these guys coming back from ACL because some of it is a function of what's going on around them and the the football that's being played and the offensive schemes and all of that. And that's why it's so important to to consider all those factors. So all that's really, really awesome insight. Uh, Next is Michael Gallup, who his injury was even later. I think his surgery wasn't until February. February February 10th or 17th. One of those rings a bell to me. And he was about 39 weeks post-op when he finally returned. Yeah, that felt early. It felt very early. Um, and to me, and his numbers are down as well, 9.3 to 4.7 this year. And to me, he doesn't look like he's really ready to go. He um, doesn't. And if you look at some of his, um, you know, you, there are some still shots I've seen. And 
you look at his quad girth, it's not the same. You can see it through the football pants. He's not, I appreciate that functionally he's pretty good, but he's not really there yet. He's he's definitely, to me, more of the case example of it's going to take another year before you see Michael Gallup back. And I thought it was interesting that he came back as early as he did because the Cowboys made an investment. I think it was a three-year contract uh, extension that he signed with them. So it wasn't like he's on a prove-it year in any shape, fashion, or form. And, you know, we heard about him, like, maybe he's going to be back. You know, Jerry Jones, if you hadn't noticed, often talks about when his players are coming back. And we heard about him potentially coming back, and then it was like, no, he wasn't quite ready. It was Michael Gallup who was pulling himself back. Like, he wanted to do a few more things in practice before he got out in the field. To me, that, like, screams at me that this player is not fully ready. Obviously, he wants to be out there. He's a competitor. But that hesitation or apprehension, it just made me a little nervous. So I'm just hoping that Michael Gallup stays healthy. And and just so people are understanding this as we talk about this on the podcast, it's not so much a worry about will the graft hold up. Because by and large, at this stage, you expect it to. Right? You expect it to. It it dips a little. It's really strong when it goes in. It dips a little. It comes back up maturation around a year. So... But you're not really worried about that. You're worried about all the other stuff. You're worried about if his quad strength is really, you know, if his quad girth, which is correlated with quad strength, is not the same, is he at risk for some other knee injury or some other soft tissue injury as a result? And, he, you know, they, they've had a situation, right? Their quarterback, you know, Dak was gone for a while, but Cooper Rush was playing very, very well. So I, I don't think there was really um, – that that influenced Gallup's stats since he's been back that much. But uh, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in the idea that he's going to really reach. I think he'll get better in the back half of the season. I agree. But I don't think we're really going to see him be at his best till next year. Completely agree there. Uh, to round out the receivers, Jamison Williams and Odell Beckham Jr., also late injuries and have not returned yet. We'll see what they do. From a tight end standpoint, we have Logan Thomas, who was 40 weeks from injury to returning, 9.3 down to 5.8. Yeah, and hurt again. He was another one. It's too early. Yeah, too early. And Robert Tanyan, 45 weeks. He actually improved a little bit, 4.5 to 6.6. that may that improvement may just be a product of Rodgers having nobody else to throw to. <laughs> Correct. But he at least looks pretty good. Um, so moving on, let's go into the Achilles where we have four players. So we have three running backs, Justice Hill, who was injured in the preseason. He was just about 52 weeks between injury and his return. And his workload was small before and is still small, so kind of hard to really assess that. Cam Akers, I know this was the year before, but he had that remarkable injury in July, returned late December, January, five and a half months. His rookie season towards the end was averaging 12.4 fantasy points a game. This season, 4.4 in the games that he's played, and we know he's not currently going to be on the active roster. James Robinson injured, I believe, the day after Christmas, so that's not exactly how I would want to spend my holidays, uh, 37 weeks from his injury to week one, and he started out really good. Um, he's kind of not been so good in the past few games. I don't know, do you have any thoughts on either Akers or Robinson? Yeah, the Akers one is um, unfortunate. 
don't know exactly what's going on there. But when he came back, we knew about the quick comeback. And I think he came back in the role that the Rams wanted him to. He was not his pre-injury self, but he didn't need to be for him to be serviceable as they move towards making a run at the Super Bowl. And that's what they wanted. That's he what obviously they did. You understand that he, again, I never really blame the athletes because they're competitive. They want to get back. They could see a pathway to getting him back, probably understanding that the role would be limited somewhat. They had Daryl Henderson. They, you know, the, He was going to be complimentary in that situation. So coming into this year, what was interesting is me listening to people saying, oh, well, he only averaged this many you know, yards per carry uh, compared to previously. And I was like, yeah, but they didn't need him to do more than that. And I felt like the additional time was going to be helpful to him because one of the things that benefited him was he already knew he could make it back. You know, this is always one of the big things yeah, where you're coming off a major injury. Standpoint. Right. How is it going to hold up? Well, he played in a couple of games, so he knew that he was fine. And I thought a little more time, time to develop some of that power and explosiveness. We'll see it. If you look at the language back and forth with the Sean McVay comments and what happened with Cam Akers, it didn't totally sound like it was a performance based on health issue. It sounded like there was a work effort issue. And it's hard to know. You know, we're not there. So I don't know really know what was going on there, but that's the reason he's not playing right now. And it remains to be seen to me if he can get back to looking like the player he was pre-injury. Maybe he can somewhere else. We don't know. Yeah, as far as James Robinson, I, his re injury recovery, I think, was remarkable. And they cleared him um, for training camp. He didn't even start on the pup list, I don't believe. Or he came off it really quickly. It was one of the two. But he was back doing individual drills. And they did a very smart progression with him. And I think we saw better productivity than we expected when he first Much came back. Better. As to why it's dropped off, I'm not totally sure. Their offense is a little hard to follow. And, you know, Travis Etienne's been so good. Yes, he's uh, been. I think he's going to be one of the guys that leads people to championships oh, in the second half of the season. Yeah, and he was he was actually more involved as a pass catcher, but that actually worked for what they were doing. And now James Robinson's a Jet. And, you know, with Brees Hall's injury and James Robinson going there, but they also have – Elijah Moore. It's hard to know how that's all going to play out. Uh, but again, I feel like James Robinson, number one, he showed us that you can come back and be effective after an Achilles injury. And I think we're starting to see that that narrative of like the career is over is starting, starting to change. Slowly starting to change. But uh, it still takes time. And when you talk to these guys, and I have many times, even if they're trying to put up the good front now, I visit them in camp a year later, and I go, so really, how was it? And they're like, yeah, well, uh, I'm definitely better now than I was a year ago. But they're not going to say that when they're first coming back. No, and they, they also can't. they also don't have the perspective to be able to say it because now a year later they can look back and say, you know what, I'm running so much differently now than I was a year ago. And I think that's what we're going to see with James Robinson. I think, was it Saquon Barkley that you yeah. put mm -hmm. out an interview with mm -hmm. this season? and, and oh He said God. the exact same thing. And He's I was himself like, again. But, but that – to me, that was my concern. I took a lot of heat for that. There are other medical people out there who poo-pooed my <laughs> analysis of this. But I was looking at Saquon last year going, he does not look the same. His quad girth was definitely different. Uh, he wasn't explosive. And when I talked to him this summer and asked him to get granular about it, 
He said, I couldn't, I had hesitation before hitting the hole. I didn't have the confidence in my knee. These are, it's like you could see it, but you couldn't put the words out there for the player. You don't know what they're experiencing, but you could see that he was not the same. And I don't care if he had a couple games where he racked up decent fantasy points and he had a couple moments where he looked like a version of himself, but it was not consistent. And he also told me after he had the ankle injury, because again, a lot of people are like, yeah, that was random. It's not like the hamstring associated with these. So it was just random. He sprained it and he, he just stepped on a guy. I have a couple of thoughts. One is, yes, maybe random in that it wasn't like the pull-up hamstring injury. But does a healthier version of Saquon not roll his ankle that badly because his reaction timing and everything? Maybe he does. I don't know. I don't have an answer. But I would at least not dismiss it. That's one. Number two, he told me that after that ankle injury, it compromised his knee. He felt like there was a setback. Now, remember, he didn't play, at least, you know, after that ankle, he didn't play. I, I don't know if he came back and then went away again, but whatever it was, he said the things he was doing daily to manage his knee, he couldn't do all those same things anymore because of the ankle. So it definitely compromised his health in that regard, and it wasn't until the off season and he would kind of hit the reset button but he had the benefit of knowing where the deficits were and I think he understood look he's got one year with the Giants he had he had some changes he had to make and I give him a lot of credit because he went back and did the homework and got ready for this season and you know Brian Dable's there now it, it, it's a different like he had a setup where there was a pathway to him getting a lot of work but somehow he understood that in order for him to be that guy, he was going to be able to have to handle a heavy workload. And that meant a lot of work getting stronger. So to me, he is a case study example of why some of these guys look so much better a year later. Yeah, absolutely. And he is just so much fun to watch and clearly back to himself this year when, as you said last year, he just was not himself. Last player on this list, Sterling Shepard, who was coming off the Achilles injury and he also returned pretty quick, 38 weeks after injury to back on the field. And he's playing pretty well. And then week three, last play of the game, complete non-contact ACL injury on Terrible. the same leg that he had his Achilles injury on. Quickly, do you have any thoughts there? Uh, it's just sad for him. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we forget these guys are human beings and it's, it's how devastating it is to have these back-to-back -back major injuries. I think I may have said something on social media at the time of like, I hope he somehow connects with Clay Thompson of the Warriors because you really have to talk to somebody who went through two massive injuries like that. And that's exactly what happened to Clay Thompson in terms of the ACL and the Achilles, although it was a reverse order, I believe believe i can't remember uh, i can't and all of a sudden i'm drawing a blank but uh suffice it to say clay thompson was out for two years essentially while he was recovering from both of those injuries and the comeback if you watch hoops at all and you saw that was incredibly emotional for clay and because there's a lot of self-doubt after those two injuries combined and i think uh you saw from the giants and their reaction everybody just really felt for him when that occurred we know that there is risk for major injury relatively, you know, it's enhanced after you have that first 
significant injury and he just fell into that stat group and it's really unfortunate especially being at the same limb too but yeah you're absolutely right as fans it's easy to just think of them as a player but that's not even aside from football this is two years of his life where he can't do the things that he likes to do because he's rehabbing and he has at least for some period of time restrictions using crutches etc that's it's it's awful, and yeah. we, we hope that he can get back to, to doing what what he likes to do. Um, so we've already kind of talked about it, but the confidence is such a big factor in this recovery. It's not just physical, getting mobility, strength, stuff like that. It's the confidence as well, and you already hit on that with Saquon. I don't know if you have anything else you want to you want to touch there. I just think that uh, this is becoming something we're all talking about more, and rightfully so. I don't think it was, you know, even ten years ago we didn't talk about it in in this way, and that is the mental aspect of recovery from these kind of injuries. That uh, you know, that the hurdle to getting back to competition is a lot bigger than I think people give it credit for. They're like, oh well, you're running well, you're doing this, like you're up to speed, your acceleration's good, you can do all the metrics, but stepping into a game situation is different. Uh, and it also depends on how the injury happened. Was it a non-contact injury? Guys will go through in their head, what happens if I stop hard and cut? If you watch, uh, we talked about deceleration being one of the hardest things to get back, this is part of the reason. It's a hard deceleration and a cut is usually the way these non-contact injuries occur. It takes a while to stop on a dime again, number one, because it's hard to do, but number two, because guys don't trust. What's going to happen when I do that? If somebody had a contact injury, they can start to get spooked when they get traffic around their leg. I talked with Joe Burrow about this last year uh, because Joe Burrow had that multi-ligament knee dislocation, really, after being hit in the pocket. And his knee got blown out, and he had to really work at getting comfortable with the traffic around his leg when he first got back into practice. People don't give that nearly enough credit. And so I like the fact that we're talking about it more because it's a very real thing. I think the players are more open about it, too, and understanding that that confidence is a factor in their recovery. And I think that's where some of this exposure, you know, bringing guys back off the pup list so they can start doing little bits of things in practice, but there is no substitute for gameplay. And it's interesting because I saw the fan reaction when some of the players were playing in the preseason and just so angry, like, why are these guys out there in the preseason? Again, couple thoughts number one is I don't know that they need to play extensively like I don't know that we need to play guys four full quarters in the preseason but if they're not getting the exposure to real competition they're not prepared for it when they enter in week one or two or five or whenever it is because no one in their team is going to come at them the way an opponent will Uh, and a lot of times they start in non-contact jerseys with their own team so if they're not doing that then you have to consider that their first exposure on the field is still in that rehab phase. And number two, it's training, right? We always say you're training up, you know, what you train for is how you perform. And so if they're not training at competition level, they're not ready to perform at competition level. Uh, a big thing I say, on our, I've coached my co-hosts on my podcast now, they understand return to play is not equal return to performance. And so people need to remember, just because somebody's been cleared or they've been taken off the list or they're okay to return to play, that doesn't mean they're automatically returning at their pre-injury competitive level. And the more we learn about this, the more we see that that takes a while to build. And I just think you know, fans and fantasy managers need to be more patient with that. 
Completely agree. Stefania, amazing analysis as always. Um, last question. Give me one or two fantasy MVPs for the second half of the season. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we're losing them like f they're dropping like flies. So who's going to be a star in the back half of the season? Well, um, <laughs> I'll be like take an easy one and be like Cooper Cup because no matter how their offense is performing, he is Matthew Stafford's blanket, <laughs> safety they blanket. They are best friends. And they are and it best shows. friends. And, and, and Cooper Cup is just productive no matter what. It doesn't matter how you cover him. He's just consistent as can be in terms of fantasy points. Um, so I love Cooper Cup. I was a big preseason Damian Pierce hype train person, and that has been playing itself out. Um, sure has. So I think Damian Pierce only gets stronger in the back half of the season. I love that they've increased his usage in the passing game. If he stays healthy, I think he's a second-half star as well. And uh, Chris Olave is another one. I think it kind of depends. I uh, Well, actually, no. I take that back because – Right now, we have Andy Dalton still playing quarterback, and we've seen that Andy Dalton, that was the worry, right? Andy Dalton comes in, it's not Jameis. Is he going to go downfield to Chris Olave? And I, I have concerns about Michael Thomas, uh, Jarvis Landry, who's been durable for so much of his career but is struggling now. Chris Olave is it in that offense. I, he is the primary target. So I think I think those are a couple, a, a handful, I, or three, I guess. We'll, we'll guys take I it. Like. All really good takes. Stefania, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Um, and I look forward to uh, hearing you back on, on stage in about an hour or so for, um, for the, <laughs> the, the panel. Soon? Yeah. <laughs> nice. Cool. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me.